0: Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number 16. And of course, we've been going through a sermon series on Sundays entitled Wilderness Wanderings. We've been having a chapter by chapter study through the book of Numbers. And this morning, we are in the third sermon in Numbers chapter 16. It's um, a long chapter, 50 verses, and it's an extremely important chapter. Uh, so we've taken some time uh, to to really dissect it and learn from it, and if you haven't been with us, just to kind of catch you up on what's happened in the book of Numbers, this is a big chapter regarding insurrection and rebellion uh, against Moses, and the first sermon uh, that we spent in chapter 16, last Sunday morning, we talked about uh, the rebellion of Korah, and I'll just briefly just kind of catch you up and give you a synopsis of the chapter if you remember in verses 1 and 2, we saw that Moses and Aaron uh, have Korah and Dathan and Abiram, and 250 princes, they revolt against Moses and Aaron, and they have an insurrection against the leadership. In verse 3, we saw that Moses and Aaron were accused by Dathan, Korah, uh, by Dathan Abiram, and Korah. They were accused of setting themselves up over the people. Uh, and, and taking too much upon them. In verses 4 to 7, we saw how Moses and Aaron responded to Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and they responded with a challenge for God to choose who the leader uh, was supposed to be. In verses 8 through 11, we saw that Moses revealed the real reason as to why Korah, Dathan, and Abiram uh, were doing this and were trying to usurp his authority. And the reason was that they were envious of the position that Moses and Aaron had. They were accusing Moses and Aaron of taking too much upon themselves when really Korah was taking too much upon himself. He was already a Levite. He already had a position that God had given him, but he wanted to take the position of Moses and specifically uh, Aaron. We saw in verses 12 and 14 that Moses is disrespected by Dathan and Abiram uh, when they refuse to come, when Moses summons them. And, And then we saw in verses 15 through 22 that Moses defended his own integrity and intercedes for the people because God gets so upset he wants to kill the entire nation and Moses intercedes for them. And, of course, he defends his own integrity and he talks about the fact that he hasn't wronged these people, he hasn't done anything wrong to them. Um, And then we saw in verses uh, 23 through 35 that Moses, of course, wins the challenge. And he wins the challenge when God opens up the earth and swallows up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram um, because Moses said, if these men die a normal, natural death, then God has not chosen me. But if God does a new thing and the earth opens up its mouth, uh, then, then you know that God has chosen me. And the Bible says, when he finished saying those words, the earth opened up its mouth. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram uh, went down into the pit alive, the Bible says. And uh, Dathan and Abiram had their wives and their children go down with them. We saw that Korah's uh, sons did not follow Korah in his insurrection. And then we also saw that God also sent fire. The Bible says that fire from the Lord came and consumed the 250 princes that followed uh, with them. In verses 36 through 40, we saw that Moses takes the censers, because you remember each of the 250 plus Aaron brought censers to this challenge, and they take the censers and they um, after they are burned alive, and they take the censers and they beat them into plates and they use them as decorations for the tabernacle as a memorial of their rebellion and what God thinks about their rebellion. We, we dealt with that uh, on last Sunday. We also, uh, on Sunday morning, we dealt with Korah. On Sunday night, we dealt with the congregation, because if you remember in verses 41 through 43, we saw how Moses and Aaron had to deal with the congregation on the next day. The very next day after these events took place, the congregation rose up against Moses and Aaron, and they were sympathizers, they were bleeding hearts, they were siding with Korah, and of course, uh, they had to be dealt with. And what we're actually looking at in verse 41 is part of that, the fact that God uh, is upset at the fact that these sympathizers and these bleeding hearts have sided with Korah. And you got to imagine how, how crazy do you have to be. I mean, the day before, the earth opened up its mouth, and Korah and Dathan and Biram go into the pit alive. Fire comes from heaven and consumes 250 princes. And then the next day, they're murmuring against Moses and Aaron, and they're saying, you killed the people of the Lord. And, and, they're, and they're siding with uh, the bad guys, and as a result... God sends a plague. Now, I dealt with rebellion last Sunday, Korah's rebellion. I dealt with the sympathizers and the bleeding hearts. This morning, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to look at this passage. This is the last time we'll look at it uh, in the series, the end of chapter 16, because I see here, and of course, the primary application is what we've already dealt with last week, the rebellion and the insurrection against Moses and Aaron. But I do see here at the end of this chapter, verses 41 through 50, I see a picture Uh, that is given to us from this passage, and it is a picture of soul winning, a picture of soul winning. And what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, show you and kind of highlight this illustration that God gives us, this picture that God gives us regarding the concept of soul winning. And if you're not sure what soul winning is, soul winning is the responsibility that god has given us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature soul winning is when we go out we knock doors we invite people to church and of course we preach the gospel to anyone who's interested and if you've ever if you've been part of our church for any length of time you should know that soul winning is the heartbeat of this church and soul winning is something that we consider of utmost importance it's the commission that god has given us and you can find it interwoven all throughout the Bible. Now, uh, I did not plan to land here on number sixteen at the time that we did, uh, but I think it's 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 fitting that we are here and that I get to preach on the subject of soul winning because, of course, I just preached yesterday at a soul winning uh, excuse me at a missions conference uh, where the and we spent the week there at the conference. Uh, I, I spoke about our missions uh, in in uh, in the UK, the missions trip in the UK. I also spoke about. Uh, Pastor Stuckey and a full-time missionary that our church supports in the Philippines has started three uh, churches there and have plans to uh, start more. And uh, the fact that Pastor Stuckey mentioned this when he was here, but in December, uh, we are starting, he is starting, and I don't, I don't want to take the credit, he's doing all the work, but uh, he's starting a church in Poland, Verity Baptist Church, Poland, and that's just going to start in a few weeks, a few weeks away. Uh, so we believe in this idea of, of missions, and we believe in this idea of soul winning. And I'd like you to notice several pictures here regarding this concept of soul winning in the Bible. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. I'd like you to notice there in verse 41, the Bible says this, but on the morrow. And again, we know the context. We understand the context. Korah, Dathan, and Byram have been swallowed up into the earth. The 250 princes have been, had fire from the Lord to come out. And the Bible says, but on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered, notice these words, gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And again, I want to use this story as a little bit, uh, uh, as a symbolic picture. It is maybe an allegory of uh, soul winning. And the first thing that I see here in this story is the picture of a world that opposes us. The picture of a world that opposes us. And what we see here is Moses and Aaron. And in this illustration, if you will, Moses and Aaron are the soul winners. They are the men of God. In fact, we send out soul winners Two by two, and here you have two soul-winning partners, Moses and Aaron. But we see the congregation to which they are ministering to, and this congregation is hostile towards them. The Bible says that all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, "You have killed the people of the Lord." verse forty-two. When it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked towards the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And of course, we're going to see that Moses and Aaron they minister unto these. Individuals. They are going to help this congregation. But I want you to notice that they are helping them. Moses and Aaron are going to minister to the children of Israel. They're going to help the children of Israel. They're going to try to benefit the children of Israel while the children of Israel are hostile towards them are murmuring against them, are gathering against them. Keep your place there in number 16. That's our text for this morning. Go with me, if you would, to the book of John in the New Testament. You've got the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the book of John, John chapter number 15. When you get to John, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or the bulletin or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 15. We see that Moses and Aaron, they are ministering to this congregation. But the congregation is hostile towards them, is standing against them, is murmuring against them, is fighting against them. And to me, this pictures the world that opposes us because here's the truth. God has called us to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. But in many ways, the lost and dying world that we are bringing the gospel to, they are hostile towards us. They are against us. They hate us, and they're opposing us. They murmur against us. They are gathered against us. And in the same way that Moses and Aaron are called to minister unto a congregation that opposes them, you and I have been called to minister to a world that opposes us. So we see this picture of a world that opposes us. Notice there, John 15. Look at verse 18. John 15 and verse 18, the Bible says this, If the world hate you... You know that it hated me before it hated you. And by the way, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. If you have a red-letter edition Bible, these verses will be in red. And look, you need to understand what the Bible teaches because today we have a bunch of false prophets who do not preach the Bible, who do not preach the, Bible, the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. And today I've noticed that Christians, they get this idea, when, when the world hates us, when the world hates Bible-believing preachers, when preachers like myself stand up and we preach the Word of God with authority, with boldness, with no, uh, without watering it down, without compromising it, the world ends up hating us. They murmur against us. They write articles against us. They protest against us. They hate us. But then people will look at us and say, well, what's wrong with you? Because there's other so-called preachers And the world loves them. You know, the world loves Joel Osteen. The world loves Billy Graham. The world loves a lot of preachers that it doesn't hate them. And then they'll look at us and say, there must be something wrong with you. But wait a minute. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Let me tell you something. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand why people don't understand that. They crucified him. And when I look at a preacher and the world loves them, when I look at a preacher and they show up in a country and the president of the country shows up and greets them and they love them and they have nothing bad to say about them, I think to myself, you're not preaching the Jesus of the Bible because Jesus said, don't be surprised when they hate you. If they they hate you, they hated me before they hated you. And then look at verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. That's why they love the false preachers. You know why? Because they're of the world. Because they are of the world. Because you have preachers like Joel Osteen who get up and say that Muslims can can just have to follow their own light. They just have to follow their own way. They don't have to believe on the God of the Bible. They don't have to believe the Lord Jesus So that's why the world loves Joel Osteen, because he's not, he's not preaching a, a hard biblical gospel that says, didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh unto the Father but by me? Yeah. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says, look, you gotta, if you, if you want to go to heaven, you got to come through Jesus, period. Yeah. And if you're Muslim or you're Hindu or you're whatever, Billy Graham said the same thing. Billy Graham says there's no, said there's no fire in hell. He said the Muslims can follow their own light. He says, and these are false teachings. They're not the gospel. They're not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And listen to me. If you're doing Christianity right, the world's going to hate you. Now, I'm not saying that we should be obnoxious. I'm not saying that we should go out and be hostile towards the world. In fact, I'm telling you, the Bible says we ought to love them. The Bible says, Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. But the truth is this. When you stand up and you preach the word of God and you say, no, it's Jesus or nothing. If you believe in Allah, you're going to die and go to hell. If you believe in Hinduism, you're going to die and go to hell. And if you believe a false works, repent of your sin's gospel, you're going to die and go to hell. You know what? That's going to make them hate us. That's why the Bible says, Yea, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we see a picture of a world that opposes us. And you know what? As a Bible-believing Christian, you ought not be worried about the preacher that the world hates. You ought to be worried about the preacher that the world loves. That's what I get worried about. When I I see one of my friends and they're they're writing articles about them, they're protesting them, they're trying to kick kick them out of their church building, I think to myself, they're doing something right. But when you see the, the pastor or the false prophet or the uh, Pope, or whatever it might be, and just the world loves them, that ought to tell you, that guy's not right. Because Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. And, and so when the world hates me, you know what that tells me? I'm not of this world. Amen. And praise God for that. I'd rather stand with Jesus. I'd rather, I'd rather stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'd rather bear the reproach of Christ. And to be loved by the world. So we see the picture of a world that opposes us. But please understand this. Though we know the world opposes us, though we know the world's against us, though we know and look, it's not their fault, they've been brainwashed by the devil. They're they're just walking in the course of this world. They've been programmed by television, they've been programmed by media. They've been programmed to reject the Bible. They're in a public school system where they're being taught that they're nothing better than an animal, that there is no God, that you just, we just exist because we just evolved, just like all the other animals. They're, they're being told these things, so they oppose the Bible. They oppose the Word of God. But you say, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to care about them and care about their soul and go out. And we're not trying to offend them. Now, we're not going to water down the gospel, and we're not going to water down Bible preaching in order to try to appease them. We're going to tell them the truth in love. But we ought to love them. God sent us to, we ought to love our enemies. And we're not talking about loving the enemies of the Lord. Of course, it's a different sermon for a different day. But those who hate us, those who stand against us, You know, we see in the story a picture of the world because you have Moses and Aaron, and they are just loving the children of Israel, praying for the children of Israel, interceding for the children of Israel, and the children of Israel, just every opportunity they get, they're hostile towards them. They're murmuring against them. They're fighting against them. And to me, that reminds me of soul winning because we see a picture there of a world that opposes us. I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, Not only do we see a picture of a world that opposes us, but I'd like you to notice there in verse 43, notice what the Bible says. Go back to Numbers 16. Keep your place there in John if you would. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Numbers 16 in verse 43. Numbers 16, verse 43. The Bible says this, And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them, As in a moment. Now notice the response of Moses and Aaron. They fell upon their faces. They're not happy that God is going to destroy these people. They're praying and interceding on their behalf. But I want you to notice that God gets fed up with these people. And he says, get you up from this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. Verse 46, and Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer. Now remember, this is what this whole fight has been about. The whole fight from the first verse of number 16 is who gets to handle the sensor. Because in the Old Testament, it was the Levitical priest. It was Aaron and his sons, the priest, who brought the censer. And a censer is where they would put incense and they would uh, uh, have fire in it. And, and and they would use this in the Levitical uh, priesthood and the tabernacle and part of the rituals in the book of Leviticus. And they've been fighting about this idea. And, 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 and Korah wants to be able to handle a censer. The 250 show up with a censer. They weren't supposed to. They weren't Levites. They weren't priests. God killed them all in a fire because of it, and they decorated the tabernacle uh, with it. But here we see that Moses tells Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation. Notice he says, and make an atonement for them. Now why, it is, why, why the urgency? Why is Moses telling Aaron, you need to go grab a censer, you need to put fire in it, you need to go uh, uh, and grab incense put from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. What's the urgency? Notice it, last part of verse 46, for there is wrath. You see that word wrath? For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Want you to notice that in verse forty-five, God said, Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them. In verse forty-six, Moses says, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun, verse 47, and Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, notice these words, the plague was begun among the people and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. I want you to notice in this story that we not only see a picture of a world that opposes us, but we also see a picture of the wrath that abided on us. Here, Moses identifies that these people are under the wrath of God. God said, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them. Moses said, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. The Bible says that Aaron ran into the midst of the congregation and behold, notice the words there, verse 47, the plague was begun among the people. This wasn't some hypothetical, maybe God will bring a plague. Maybe God's wrath will come. The plague had already begun. The wrath of God was already beginning to pour out. It was present tense. It already started. And this pictures to me not only the world that opposes us, but the wrath that abided on us. I'm referring to those of us that are saved and the wrath that abides on them. What are you talking about? Go to John 3.36. Keep your place there in numbers. Go back to John if you would. John 3.36. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in John 3.36, and we could take a lot of verses to prove this. I'm not going to do that this morning, but I'd like you to notice. John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Praise the Lord for that. Don't you love that phrase? Don't you love that promise? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You know what I like about John three thirty-six. I often use John three thirty-six in my Bible presentation. Though there are other verses that I also use, like John three fifteen and John three sixteen. What I love about John three thirty-six is that it uses this word "hath." Notice it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. The word "hath," H-A-T-H. Our modern way of saying that is "have." He that believeth on the Son. Hath everlasting life. What does that mean? It means you possess it. It means you have it. I love this verse because it expresses the fact that salvation is not something that you're going to get, it's not something you get in the future. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Present tense. You have it the moment you believe. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is not something that can be lost. It's not something that you may get one day if you live good enough or do enough good works. No, no. He that believeth on the Son hath, present tense, hath everlasting life. I love that in this verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But I want you to notice the flip side to it. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Notice it doesn't say the wrath of God will abide on him. It doesn't say if they get saved, if they don't get saved one day, they're going to be condemned to hell. No, in the same way that he that believeth on the Son hath present tense everlasting life, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God present tense abideth on him. You know, the Bible does not teach that one day people die and go to hell and then they get condemned. The Bible says that they are condemned already. The Bible says that the wrath of God abides on them. The Bible says that, that they're already condemned. There's already a cell in hell with their name on it. And it's interesting to me because Moses says the plague is begun, the wrath of, God, of the Lord, there is wrath gone out from the Lord. And you and I, as soul winners today, could say that there is wrath gone out from the Lord, that the plague has begun. That the plague was begun among the people. The wrath of God abides on them. Keep your place there in John. Go to Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter 3. John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. I know you kept your place in John. I'd like you to also keep your place in Colossians, if you would not mind. Keep your place in John and keep your place also in Colossians. Look, you got to understand, they're not going to die and go to hell one day. They're already condemned. They're already as good as in hell. This is why Jude says, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the fire. You say, pulling them out of fire is this reference to pulling them out of hell. You say, but they're not physically in hell. Is that just symbolic? And it may be symbolic, but the truth is this, the wrath of God already abides on them. And when you and I go and get somebody saved, we're pulling them out of the fire. The wrath of God abides on them. The plague has begun. This is taught all throughout the Bible. I'll just give you another example. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 6, Colossians 3, 6. It says this, For which things sake, notice, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. I don't have, I'm not preaching through Colossians, and I'm, I don't have time to develop that, but I'll just say this. The children of disobedience is a reference to the children of Adam. Adam disobeyed God. He sinned against God, and as a result, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You need to understand, we are born sinners. We are born with a sin nature. We are born already with the wrath of God abiding on us. Now we understand that for those that are for babies and for children that are in a state of innocence that cannot understand uh, the difference between right and wrong and good and evil that God allows for them to go to heaven when they die. But the truth is this, every human being is born lost. And once they cross the line of accountability, once they cross the line where they understand the difference between good and evil, good and bad, uh, sin and righteousness, then they are condemned already. The wrath of God abideth on them. We not only see a picture of the world that opposes us, but we see a picture of the wrath that abided on us, that abides on them. And what I would say to you today, you say, you think people are going to die and go to hell one day? No, no, no. the wrath is gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. They're already condemned. The wrath of God. Look, as much as the salvation of God abides on you if you're saved, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, as much as that's true, it's also truth that the wrath and judgment of God abides on them. Go back to number 16. Keep your place there in Colossians. Keep your place in John. We see the picture of a world that opposes us. Moses and Aaron, ministering to the children of Israel while the children of Israel are hostile towards them. Ministering to the children of Israel while the children of Israel are murmuring against them. Ministering to the children of Israel while the children of Israel are standing against them. And that's the same picture we see with the Lord Jesus Christ ministering to a world. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. And we have the same same ministry. We minister to the world, the world that hates us the world that stands against us. And look again, if if a preacher is loved by this world, he's not preaching the Bible, period. He's watering down the truth. He's compromising the truth. So you see a picture of the world that opposes us. We see a picture of the wrath that abided on us. The plague is begun. But then I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, we see the picture of a work that has been entrusted to us. Look at verse 48, number 16, 48. Don't you notice what the Bible says here? The Bible says, And he, the he there is Aaron, and he stood between the dead and the living. Please understand this, and I want you to get this. I think sometimes what we make a mistake when we read the Bible, we just read the Bible like it's a textbook. And you should read the Bible like it's a textbook. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but especially when you're reading through these narratives, you ought to put yourself into the story. You got to see it in your mind's eye. I want you to understand this this, this story. Look look at what the, the Bible says in verse 45 God says, Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them. In verse 46, Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation to make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun! I want you to get this idea. I'm not sure how old Aaron is at this time. But we know that he's an old man. We know that Moses was 80 years old when he took the children of Israel out of the promised land. We know that Aaron is his older brother. So we know that these, both of these men are, are, are old, older men. Not in the far too distant future here in the book of Numbers, we're going to get to a chapter where we see the death of Aaron. This is an old man at this time. I just envision this older man, Aaron, he's got to be in his 80s, maybe in his 90s, maybe older than that. And, and Moses says, "I want you to take a censer and put a fire and put fire therein from off the altar and put. I just envi- and look. There's an urgency. Take censor, uh, take the censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense. What is the urgency? And go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement. I see this old man, and I just envision Aaron as this old man, and I don't know. Maybe he was a little heavy set. Oftentimes, as people get older, they 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 put on a little bit of weight, and maybe he uh, uh wasn't able. He's going quickly, but I. Doubt that he was running. He's an older man. Maybe he's walking as quickly as possible. Maybe hobbling along as he goes. And he takes the Bible, says a censer, and he puts fire therein from off the altar, and he puts incense, and he goes, and he goes. Notice verse forty-seven. And Aaron took uh, as Moses commanded. And notice what the Bible says. And ran. He ran. I don't know how fast he ran. I don't know what that ran looked like. But he, the, the 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 urgency is there. He ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was but among the people. Now, I'm not sure what this looked like, but based off the way that it's worded and based off the way that it's described, it seems to me like Moses and Aaron were standing there and the congregation of the children of Israel were standing before them. And when God decided, I'm going to kill these people and the plague is going to begin, that it began at a certain spot. And again, I don't know what that looked like. We know in, in other passages when God brings plagues and brings death, there's been angels of the Lord that have came in and began to kill people. Maybe that was visual. Maybe it wasn't visual. Maybe it was invisible. Maybe there was no angel. I don't know this, but something happened that identified for Moses, the plague has begun. He began to see through the congregation, people beginning to die, people beginning to fall over, people maybe gasping for air, beginning to collapse, beginning to die. That that's the, ins- that's the urgency that took Moses to say, You need to go. You need to run. You need to go quickly. Grab the sensor. Go quickly. And I just see this man, this old man with a sensor, and he's put fire in it, and the smoke's coming out, and he's running. And I don't know, maybe hobbling a little bit. But the Bible tells us that he ran. Notice there in verse 47 Aaron took, Mo- uh, took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put incense and made an atonement for the people. I see him running towards the people that are dying. Holding the censer up. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And obviously that was a reference to the crucifixion. But I believe that it is our job to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. To lift up the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice there in verse 48, the Bible says, And he, Aaron, stood between the dead and the living. Don't miss it. Watch this old man Aaron running to the tabernacle, picking up a censer, putting incense and lighting it on fire. Notice him running with urgency, maybe hobbling and running towards the people that are dying. And it seems to indicate that there's a group that is dead and a group that's not dead and a group that is dying. And the Bible tells us that he stood and he held that censor up between the dead and the living. We see the picture Are you getting it? A picture of a work that has been entrusted us. You say, what kind of work is this? We have been entrusted to stand between the living and the dead. I don't know what you mean by that. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. You know what the Bible says? John 5, 24. John 5:24, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking. John 5:24, Verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation." Notice these words. Notice what this says, but is passed from death unto life." Amen. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the world is dead. The Bible says that when they when they became knowledgeable of sin, when when sin entered in, Paul says, sin entered in, he said, and I died. Spiritually died. This is why God told Adam, the day that thou eat of the tree, thou shalt surely die. He didn't die physically that day. He died spiritually that day. He began to die physically that day. We are born, but as even even at birth, we begin the process of death. We begin to die. The Bible says that when you and I take the gospel to someone and we get them saved, we pass them from death unto life. Amen. You understand what I just said? Amen. Their spirit is quickened. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you another example. Ephesians chapter 2. If you kept your place in Colossians, if you go from Colossians, you go backwards uh, into Philippians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians 2.1. The Bible says this. And you... This is Paul speaking to saved people. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened. The word quicken is an old word that means to be made alive. To have life. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know what the gospel does? It quickens those that are dead. We take them from death unto life. I think there was a popular show at some point called the Walking Dead. I never watched it. I don't even know what it's about. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I'm sure it's not good. I don't recommend it. But I, I'll tell you this. You know, the, the, there is a Walking Dead. There's a real Walking Dead. It's not a bunch of zombies. It's a bunch of unsaved people that are dead and their trespasses and sins. And we can bring the word of God to them. We can preach the gospel to them. And if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they will be passed from death unto life. Get the picture. Our job, like Aaron, Aaron, the plague has begun. And he takes the censer. The Bible tells us that he stood between the dead and the living. And the job that God has given you and I in Verity Baptist Church is to take the censer of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to stand between the living and the dead they might be passed from death unto life. Look at Ephesians 2, 1. And you are the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Remember that from Colossians 3, 6? Among whom also we are, we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, were by nature naturally the children of wrath. Remember, the wrath of God abideth on them. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even, notice verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened. We were dead in sins. And he made us alive, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Let me tell you something, the world is filled with the living and the dead. This world is filled with the living and the dead. People that are not saved are dead spiritually in their trespasses and sins. People that have been quickened, that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are alive. Their spirits have been quickened. They are made alive. They've been born again. They've been birthed spiritually. They've been given spiritual life. And our job, our job is to stand between the living and the dead. So we see the picture of the world that opposes us. We see the picture of the wrath that abides on us. And we see a picture of the work that has been entrusted in us. Entrusted to us. I want you to notice it again. Go back to number 16. Keep your place in in John if you would. Go back to number 16. I just I just see the, the soul winning illustration here. Number 16 verse 46. Number 16 verse 46 and Moses said unto Aaron, If I could have somebody, maybe just put the AC down as uh, one degree or whatever. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense. Notice these words, and notice this word, and go, and go. I, I just I can't see that word in the Bible without thinking of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Go ye therefore into all the world, or excuse me, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I can't see that word go. Numbers 16, 46. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire there and from off the altar and put on incense and go. I can't see that word go without thinking of Mark sixteen fifteen. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the Bible has commanded us to go. We are to go quickly unto the congregation and make atonement for the people, verse 47, and Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran. Notice, Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran. Notice these words, into the midst of the congregation. You say, why do you guys get together on a Saturday morning? Why do you get together and and partner people two by two and then you send them out into the highways and hedges? to preach the gospel. Why do that? Because in, order, because in order for us to do what we've been called to do, we have to, number one, go, and we have to be in the midst of the people. Because there is a world today, there's two types of people in this world. Those who are dead and those who are living. I'm talking about spiritually. There's two types of people in this world. Saved and the unsaved. Alive and Dead. On their way to heaven, on their way to hell. Half everlasting life, the wrath of God abideth on them. There's two types of people in this world, the dead and the living, and God has called you and I to stand between the living and the dead. We are to go. In the midst of the congregation, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go to 2 Corinthians if you would. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 18. If you have your place there in John, you go from John to Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.18. 2 Corinthians 5.18, notice what the Bible says, and all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Bible then tells us that He has given to us, notice it, Second Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of Reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us unto God. And then the Bible tells us he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God has called us to stand between the living and the dead that we might preach the gospel to them, that we might preach the word of God to them, and that when they believed that they would pass from death unto life. See the picture of Aaron as he stands there lifting up the censer, and, and he's standing between the living, and he's standing between the dead, and he is causing those that, that, that to not die, to not experience the wrath of God. That's our job. That's what soul winning is. We stand between the living and the dead. Like I said, I, we just came back from a missions conference. And I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm all for missions. I'm, I'm thankful for missions. I'm thankful for missionaries. I think we've proven it. We, we have a missionary in the Philippines. We support him full time, supported 100% by our church. Say, why do you do that? So he wouldn't have to spend three years of his life going around churches begging for money. He said, what did you do in the first, in those first three years? He started two churches. <laughs> now there's three churches. Starting a fourth one in a few weeks. Hey, we believe in missions. We believe in preaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love missions. I'm a product of missions. You know, many of you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I, I, I was born in Venezuela. I've lived here basically my entire life. I, we moved here when I was four years old. But my, my parents, I grew up Baptist. I've, I've, I've been an independent fundamental Baptist my whole life. I haven't been saved my whole life. I got saved, obviously, like everyone else, but I've been a Baptist my whole life. I was born into an independent fundamental Baptist family, been going to an independent fundamental Baptist church my whole life. My parents were saved as a result of the ministry of American missionaries, and my my uh, dad got saved as a result of the influence of American missionaries. My, my mother's grandfather got saved as a result of, of, of the ministry of American uh, missionaries. And, and my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. And, of course, my dad has served in ministry his entire Christian life, pretty, pretty much. And I, I'm, I'm thankful that one day uh, an American missionary and his wife decided, you know what, Let, we, we could go work in some factory somewhere. We could go give our lives to some career somewhere. We could pursue the American dream somewhere and and, and buy a house and have two cars and a dog and a white picket fence. We could do that. But how about we give our lives to go across the ocean and preach the gospel to people in Venezuela. Hey, I'm thankful that somebody stood up with the censor of the glorious gospel and stood between the living and the dead. (laughs) God, the gospel in Venezuela today is pre- pretty much closed due to communism and, 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 and the government there, but I'm thankful that somebody stood up between they said, "I'm going to give my life to reach people. I'm going to stand between the living and the dead." I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that one day, many years ago, as a young child, while living still in Venezuela. I don't know what the day was. I know it was a Sunday. I don't know all the details. I don't know the day. I wish I would have wrote it down. Obviously, I was just a kid. But I remember coming home after a Sunday morning service, and the preacher, I don't even know who the preacher was, but I know he preached on hell. And I remember being scared and afraid that the wrath of God abideth on me. And I remember going home as a child and and, and telling my dad that I was afraid to go to hell. And my dad took the Bible and preached the gospel. I don't remember what he said. I don't remember all the details, but I know this. He told me that I was a sinner and that I deserved to go to hell. But Jesus loved me, and he died on the cross for my sins. And I bowed my head that day, and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Hey, I'm thankful somebody lifted up the censer that day and stood between the living and the dead and gave the gospel to a little boy. I'm thankful for the day I remember the day my wife got saved. She's 17 years old. She'd been raised Catholic, been to college, decided to become an atheist. I started working there with her. We were just teenagers. Began to preach the gospel to her. We spent many weeks, months talking about the gospel, talking about evolution and creation, talking about uh, the Bible. And, and, and one day, it wasn't until it wasn't I shared with her a story one day of, of an individual that I knew that I didn't preach the gospel to, that I believe is in hell today, and I, and I went home. I went home that day, and she was uh, the manager, and she's the assistant manager, and she stayed to finish up some things, and she uh, decided that day that she did believe the gospel. She did believe in heaven. She did believe in hell. She was afraid to go to hell, and she asked Jesus to save her that night. I'm thankful that I had the urgency. As a seventeen year old kid, I don't know what I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew this, that we stood between the living and the dead. And I don't know what your story is, but if you're here today and you got saved, you have a story. Maybe somebody knocked on your door. Maybe somebody uh, 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 sent you, maybe you were watching a documentary and after the documentary, a video came up explaining the gospel. Maybe a friend shared the gospel with you. Maybe somebody sent you a link. Maybe, like I said, someone knocked on your door and asked you the question, do you know for sure? If you died today, you'd go to heaven. Maybe a co-worker on his lunch break decided to preach the gospel to you. I'm not sure how you got saved. I know this. If you're saved, somebody preached the gospel to you. And I'm thankful for the fact that there are people that have decided to give their lives to raise up the censor of the glorious gospel and stand between the living and the dead. It's the work that God has entrusted to us. I pray to God that Verity Baptist Church would be a church that would give its life to stand between the living and the dead. To preach the gospel to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. It's our job to stand between the living and the dead. We see a picture of the world that opposes us. We see a picture of the wrath that abided on us. We see a picture of a work that has been entrusted to us. By the way, let me say this. I'm thankful for our church and I'm thankful for the growth of our church. But I'm hoping and praying that God will give us laborers, not only soul winners in this church that will reach this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that we might be able to stand. I'm thankful for the fact that our church has started so many churches already. We've started five churches in the last 13 years aside from this church, and we are looking for more men that will stand up and say, I will go. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'll go, and I'll preach, and I'll reach, and I'll raise up the censor of the gospel. So you see a picture of the work that has been entrusted to us. Now I'd like you to notice lastly, this morning, we see a picture of a witness that belongs to us. There's a testimony here. I don't want you to miss it. Notice there in verse 47, And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. and Behold, a plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. Verse 48, And he stood between the living and the dead. But notice this little phrase, And the plague stayed. They were dying, dead in their trespasses and sins. Wrath had came out from the Lord. The plague was begun. But Aaron took that censer and he hobbled over and ran with urgency. He went in the midst and he stood between the living and the dead. And the Bible says that the plague was stayed. The plague stopped. He stopped the plague. Now, he wasn't able to get all of them. Look at verse 49, and they that died in the plague were 14,700, 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah, not including the people that died the previous day with Korah, 14,700 died. He wasn't able to reach them all, but he's able to reach some. Look at verse 50, and Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice these words, I love these words, and the plague was stayed, and the plague was stayed. It was a good day when I asked Jesus to save me. It was a good day when I asked him to save me from my sins. It was a good day when I asked him to save me from the wrath which is to come. It was a good day when I asked him to save me from the plague of sin that would kill me and condemn me. It was a good day when the plague stayed. You know why I think people struggle with soul winning? I think they struggle with soul winning because they forget about their own salvation. I will never understand. I will never understand. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm I'm not trying to disrespect you in any sort of way. But I will never understand how somebody who's had their sins forgiven could twiddle their thumbs with their life and sit idly by while people die and go to hell. Someone gave you the gospel. Someone stood between the living and the dead and caused the plague to stay on your behalf. Won't you and I go? It was a good day when the plague stayed. It was a good day when Jesus forgave me of my sins. It was a good day. Look, you ought to get excited about your salvation. Don't let the excitement of your own salvation wear off. It was a great day, the day that I got saved. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Happy day! Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day! Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. When was the last time you sang about your salvation? When's the last time you rejoiced about your salvation? I was once a sinner, but I came, pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. That was a good day. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to Rome. Why don't you get excited about salvation? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Not have I gotten, but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it, since I, I believe, boasting excluded, pride I abased. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace, only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. See, some of you don't you don't understand this. I don't don't understand you. I don't understand if you're saved, if your sins have been forgiven, if you're on your way to heaven, how you can sit there and be grumpy and not sing and not praise the Lord. Are you saved? You have a story of salvation. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I don't know about you, but I know this. It was a good day when the plague stayed. It was a good day when somebody stood between the living and the dead. May help me pass from death unto life. It was a good day. Go to Acts 26 if you, if you would. Acts 26. If you kept your place in John right after John, you have the book of Acts. I hope you're excited about your salvation. Amen. I hope you can sing about your salvation. Amen. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. We see a picture of the world that opposes us. We see a picture of a wrath that abides on us. We see a picture of the work that has been entrusted to us. And we see a picture of the witness that belongs to us, the witness that belongs to me. See, the Bible says, go ye therefore and be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. See, sometimes people say, well, I don't know how to preach the gospel. Are you saved? Can you tell somebody what you did? Look, I believe in being trained, and I believe in all that. Look, we have a soul-winning seminar. We have a 10-part soul-winning seminar where we take you and teach you how to present the gospel. If you've not gone through it, you need to go through it. Go to our website, bandbutnotbound.com. Go to the seminar section and go through the soul-winning seminar. Come soul-winning. We'll partner you up with someone. You can be a silent partner. We'll teach you the ropes. But let me tell you something. If you're saved, you should be able to tell somebody how you got saved. It should be your story. I love to tell the story. It should be your story. Your testimony should be able to say, and it's not, I used to be a drug dealer and I used to be this. No, 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 no. That's not, that's that's your story. But you got to tell your story regarding salvation, which is this. I was a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I received him, his salvation, by grace, through faith, not of works. And I'm saved for eternity. The truth is this, that it was a good day when you got saved. But there are still people out there waiting to be saved. Acts 26, verse 18, notice what it says. To open their eyes. This is what we've been called to do. To open their eyes. If you've never, if you're not a soul winner, you may not understand this verse, but if if you're a soul winner, you, you may have experienced this. You, you experience it. When you knock on the door, hi, we're coming from Verity Baptist Church. We'd like to invite you and your family to church. Well, listen, more important than going to church, can I ask you a question? Do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? Oh, yeah, I think I'm on my way to heaven. May I ask, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, you know, I, I live a good life, and I got baptized. and. Well, the Bible says something a little different. Can I, can I show you that? Sure, I've got a few minutes. And you go, and you begin to explain we're all sinners. Our sin has condemned us to hell. No matter how good you are, you're not good enough. And then you begin to explain that salvation is a gift and it's not of works. And you can see it to open their eyes. When it clicks from the realization, oh, I see. To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We have been called to stand between the living and the dead. Go back to number 16. Number 16, we'll finish this up. Number 16 and verse 46. The Bible says, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go, and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord; the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people and he stood, watch watch Moses, as, watch Aaron as he runs with the censer and he runs with urgency to stand between the living and the dead and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. It's an illustration of what God has called us to do. To stand between the living and the dead. We've been called to do it. To help them pass from death into life. The question is this. Will you stand between the living and the dead? Will you give your life? You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I don't, I don't need to understand. I don't care what you're doing. Don't tell me that gardening on a Saturday morning is more important than standing between the living and the dead. You say, well, I can't do that. Okay, well, we got Sundays. We got other days. You don't even need a day. Just go out and find someone. I I don't need to understand. I I understand this. People die and go to hell, and they spend eternity in hell, and we are living between the living and and the dead, and nothing else matters. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else is more important than reaching the laws with the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, he stood between the living and the dead. Between the dead and the living. So the question is simple, will you stand between the living and the dead? I was thinking about the song this week, I was at the missions conference, and I thought, man, I should have picked this song for the course of the week this week based off the sermon that I was preaching, but I'd already picked a different song and I left it alone. And then these guys, and I think it's the Holy Spirit of God, led them to play it for the offering. So I thought, well, that must be God telling me he wants us to sing that song. I asked Brother Oliver to print it for me. I don't know if if he can hand that to me. I know you don't have it. I know you don't have the song, but I think you know it, and I'd like for us to sing this song together. I know I haven't prayed yet, but I'm going to ask the musicians or some musicians if they could make their way. I'd like for us to sing this song. Lord, I give my life to you. Take control each day. I will follow anywhere near or far away. Lord, I want your perfect will. Be my faithful guide. I will never be afraid. You are close beside. Let me see my mission field all around each day. Fill my heart with Jesus' love. Use me, Lord, I pray. Can we sing this song? I know you don't have it in front of you, but I think you know it. Can we sing it? Lord, I give my life to you. Let's sing it out on the first. Let's sing it together.
1: Lord, I give my life to you. Take control each day. I will follow anywhere. Near or far away. Let's go sing it. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord, send me. I will serve you faithfully. Here am I, Lord, send me. I know you don't have the words, but just sing it if you know it on the second. Lord, I want your perfect will. Be. Sing it as a prayer. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. I will serve you faithfully. Here am I, Lord, send me. You know, I'm I'm, I'm praying that there would be
0: people all over our church that would stand up and say, you know, I, I can't maybe be a pastor or a missionary, but I can, I can cross the street and preach the gospel to someone. I can, I can go into our community and preach the gospel to someone. I'm praying that there'd be maybe some young men that'll stand up and say, I'll, I'll give my life to the cause of Christ. I'll take the gospel somewhere. I'd like for us to sing it there on the 3rd. Let me see my mission field all around each day. Fill my heart with Jesus' love. Use me, Lord, I pray. Sing it out on the third. Let
1: me see my mission filled all around each day. Fill my heart with Jesus' love. Use me, Lord, I pray. Here we go. Sing it. Let's pray together, may we?
0: Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to get a burden in our hearts for lost souls. Someone took the time to stand between the living and the dead for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stand in between the living and the dead for others, that they might be passed from death into life. Help us, Father. Help us to not only sing the song, but to have the prayer, hear my Lord, send me. We love you. the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let me give you some ending notes this morning before we dismiss. First of all, I want to remind you that there is choir tonight at 5 p.m. If you're interested in joining the choir, uh, we'd like to...